the CIA and JFK. Meta has your data, more than you know. And the FDA, Pfizer, and blood clots. Mmm, like you didn't know that already. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Wednesday. This week, I'm telling you, this week is screaming by. Maybe it's because Christmas is coming. I don't know, but the week is flying. This is the 21st day of uh, December. It is the winter solstice. So a happy winter solstice to you. It is the shortest day of the year. After this, the days get longer, and they're supposed to get warmer. But we all know that, you know, December is about the lamest month for winter. And then it just gets worse from here. (laughs) In February, when I grew up in Connecticut, February was the month we all dreaded because that's when major snowstorms, blizzards came through. We got nailed six feet of snow in one storm. Uh, February was the month to look out for. But March also, March also had a couple of big boomers. And then after that, it's pretty much over. So anyway, yeah, happy winter uh, solstice uh, to you. It is time right off the bat here to get on with our little Miko update. Miko update. Miki, Miki, Miko update. She is doing great, and she had a very late walk tonight because it was raining again. But this rain lasted from about 3, 4 o'clock this afternoon all the way up until, I don't know, 8 eight thirty tonight so she didn't get the chance to go out that is her on her late night walk just about an hour ago or less and yes she has a brand new sparkly light up collar look at that how cool is that there's another uh here let me play this one now this one's in the dark so you can really see her cool light up collar she loves it she's so proud of that thing she'd be showing it off all over the place so, uh, yeah, Miko's got her collar, and she's out there sniffing around the park, doing her business. <laughs> well, we don't need to see that part, okay? Anyway, yeah, she's uh, she's doing really good and uh, having a ball. Matter of fact, you know, I told you before about how she's been doing this hand-feeding thing. She wants to be hand-fed all the time. For the last couple of days, it hasn't happened. She's just dug in and eaten her dinner and her lunch like, Nobody's business. Today, both meals, lunch and dinner, she ate without any help, and she licked the bowl clean. So she's doing really well. I don't know why she's extra hungry. Maybe she's pregnant. No, she's not pregnant, okay? (laughs) Our Miko updates brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. BarkBox is a monthly subscription for your dog. Whatever size dog you have, small, medium, or large, they've got a BarkBox for you. And every month, you will get a themed, customized box of toys and treats every month delivered right to your door. You can sign up for just one month, but trust me, once you get one, you'll sign up for more. Six months, 12 months, and if you use our special link, BarkBox.com Miko, you will get an extra month free. That's a $35 value. USD, by the way. And yes, it's only available in the U.S., U.S. territories in Canada. No international shipping yet, but you can use one of those forward shipping services. Or maybe you got a friend in the U.S. who could ship it to them and they can ship it to you if you're not in the U.S., U.S. territories or Canada. Anyway, check them out. Every month is a new theme. They're all adorable. You'll get a couple of toys, a couple of bags of all natural treats and a dog chew. Every month, 
delivered right to your door. And trust me, your doggy will love it, and so will you. And if there is if there's ever any problems with anything with BarkBox, you get a hold of their customer service. They are on it. They will make it right, whatever it takes. So BarkBox.com slash Miko is our link. And if you, it's in our show notes, too, by the way, if you forget. But do check them out and uh, find out more about BarkBox and how you can... Uh, you can make your dog smile like Miko does. <laughs> All right. You know, I saw this tweet the other day. Somebody tweeted out, when did you first lose, how did they put it? When did you first lose confidence in your government? My answer was November 22nd, 1963. Those of you who are old enough know that date. Sadly, it is the date that President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was assassinated. And just in the last few days, news has come out, leaked out, been released. And it is something that a lot of us figured. We didn't know, but we figured. And uh, now it seems that it's... Uh, it's more than likely true. I actually, when I think back on my childhood, I don't remember a lot of, you know, much past when I was 12 or 13 years old. I distinctly remember watching the coverage of when President Kennedy was shot, watching Walter Cronkite on CBS, an old black and white television. It was 1963. I was five years old. I was about five and a half at that point. Well, actually, I was almost six because I'm born in January, so almost six years old. But I absolutely remember watching the coverage of that. That's probably the only memory I have. <clears throat> that and the landing on the moon. That I also remember watching on television. But, uh, yeah, this is a... Uh, <sighs> it's a story I wish I didn't have to bring to you. But it really does just confirm a lot of what we've all thought. Lee Harvey Oswald, the CIA and LSD. New clues in newly declassified documents. This article from The Intercept is in our show notes if you want to read the whole thing. There's a memo. It's an unredacted memo. That means nothing's crossed out, which adds a lot of depth to our understanding of the CIA's response to allegations that Oswald worked with them. They de the Biden administration declassified a new clue last week to the relationship between Lee Harvey Oswald and the CIA. Among the intersections between Oswald and the CIA, his time as a young Marine at the Asuki Naval Air Facility in Japan in 1957. Asuki was a launching pad for the U-2 spy plane over the Soviet Union, also a hub of CIA research into psychedelic drugs. We all remember those programs. Members of the public were unknowingly given psychedelic drugs, and then they were studied. You, you see the kind of crap? That's why I said, when did you first lose confidence in your government? A CIA memo entitled Truth Drugs on Interrogation revealed the agency's practice of dosing agents 
who were marked for dangerous overseas missions. This Talbot guy who wrote a book called The Devil's Chessboard, he, uh, his exploration of the link ended with the biography of Alan Dulles, a former CIA director. Some chroniclers of Oswald's life have suggested he was one of the young Marines upon whom the CIA performed its acid tests. Now, a new document released in full last week relates directly to Oswald's time at Asuka, uh, Asuki, and it reveals details about the CIA's response to testimony from a former agency accountant that the spy service had employed, Oswald, who went on to be one of the gunmen in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. The CIA's role in Kennedy's assassination remains one of the great unsolved mysteries of American history. A majority of Americans believe the president was killed as part of a conspiracy that went beyond Oswald, and roughly one-third of all Americans believe the CIA or elements within the CIA had a hand in it. There's more interesting information you will, if you're interested in this subject at all, and I know most people are, you will find it fascinating. You can see it goes on and on. Dig in here because... These documents that have been released are, <laughs> I'm not surprised because I've had my tinfoil hat stapled to my head for a long time. And for all that time, I have always believed that it was, if it was Oswald at all, he certainly didn't do it by himself. And now it appears, you know, we're going to need new conspiracy theories because all of our old conspiracy theories are turning out to be true. So we're going to have to come up with some new ones. Speaking of conspiracies, how about you Facebook users? Yes, I'm talking to you because I know we got an audience over there on Facebook. Oh, look, Miko found somebody she likes. <laughs> I got the door to the studio open tonight because it's a little warm in here. So if Miko has a fit like she just did, you're going to hear it. So there, she's alive and well. All right, Facebook, this is for you. Meta, the former Facebook, likely has your phone number and your email, even if you never shared them. Want to be able to delete that data? Well, this article will tell you how. A little-known data deletion tool. One of the main ways Facebook gathers data, in its early days anyway, was by encouraging new users to share their contact information with Facebook. Now, that resulted in a lot of people. Where was that? Dane Syed has liked the stream. Dane, oh my goodness, hello. It is great to have you on board. Thank you so much, and thank you for the like, Dane. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, uh, way back in the beginning of Facebook, they were actually encouraging people to share their contact information, uh, phone numbers, email addresses, and even if you never signed up to use Facebook, they were still asking for that stuff, and they stored it, and they still have it. In many years, no easy way for people to determine whether their data had been harvested in this way, and to delete phone numbers, email addresses, 
you would not believe, you know, as you know, <clears throat> we have an email address for this show, which is called show at jsheldon.com. Anything you want to send me or write to me, show, S-H-O-W, at jsheldon.com. Now, you know I have a jsheldon.com address. You would not believe the spam and junk mail I get. Now, for the most part, my software separates it. It does a pretty good job. But I literally get hundreds hundreds of spam crap junk email every single day every day. and the problem is occasionally my my spam filter will take something that isn't spam and put it in the junk folder so i have to dig through and at least scan through all these hundreds of emails to make sure that nothing wound up in there before i just delete all anyway uh earlier this year facebook's parent company meta quietly rolled out a tool. They didn't tell you about it, but it is there that lets you check whether Facebook, Instagram, or Messenger has a copy of your phone number and email address. And you can delete the information from their address book database and block it from being uploaded in the future. That's the important part. When you delete or block an address or a phone number, Meta keeps a copy of the data in its block list. But Meta says the data will no longer be used to see if it's associated with an active Facebook, Instagram, or Facebook account uh, to make suggestions on those platforms, invite non-users to join the, you know, like, hey, your friend Jay Sheldon is on Facebook. You should join too. You know, that kind of crap. Anyway, uh, there's a list in here. I'm not going to go through it on the show here, but you can read the article. I put the link in our show notes, and this will take you through the steps of getting your phone number and email addresses out of Facebook, Instagram, Messenger's database. It's right there, and you can click on the link and check it out. And uh, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to do that because, honestly, the less data these places have, like Google, Facebook, the better. Because they are buying on you you know they are and that's 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 not a conspiracy theory that's a conspiracy speaking of which you're gonna love this one this is from uh com. links in the show notes how the global spyware industry spiraled out of control the biden administration to the Biden joke took a public stand last year against the abuse of spyware to target human rights activists, dissidents, and journalists. It blacklisted the most notorious maker uh, of hacking tools. That's the Israeli firm NSO Group. If I'm not mistaken, they're the ones that came up with, um, is it called Pegasus? Remember, we did a whole show on Pegasus. The global industry for commercial spyware which allows the government to invade your phone. It's no-click stuff, too. You don't have to get a link in an email or a message and click on it and boom, your phone's infected. Nah, this Pegasus stuff, and this isn't the only one. All they need to have is your phone number, which they can get from Facebook if you don't delete it. All they need is your phone number, and they can send you a message. Boom, your phone's infected. You didn't need to open the message. You didn't need to click anything. It's owned. 
by whoever sent it to you. They can control, they can see all your data, all your contacts, everything you do. They can activate your camera, your microphone. I, this, I know this sounds, woo, it isn't. Look up Pegasus spyware. Anyway, the Drug Enforcement Administration, oh boy, secretly deploying spyware from a different Israeli firm. According to five people familiar with the agency's operations in the first confirmed use of commercial spyware by the federal government. At the same time, the use of spyware continues to spread around the world. New firms, new companies coming up with their own versions, new technology. This stuff is getting scary. Read this article. It will open your eyes, and you will be a little more careful, I think, in the future about what you do and say and put on your phone. Sadly, you shouldn't have to. To me, that's that's just another right of free speech that as long as what you're saying and doing is legal, then go for it. Speaking of things that are not legal, how about the idiotic January 6th committee? Bunch of morons. All right, look, there's a video in this. I'm not going to play the video. I did put the link to this article in our show notes. Alan Dershowitz, who is a Harvard Law professor, emeritus, and a very famous, famous lawyer. If you don't know the name of Alan Dershowitz, you haven't been paying attention. Anyway, he says the January 6th committee's criminal referral to the Justice Department against former President Donald Trump is unconstitutional. And this man knows from which he talks. He said it violates the separation of powers. During the final committee hearing, these idiots on the January 6th committee unanimously made criminal referrals against former President Trump. In my view, it is clearly unconstitutional, Dershowitz said on Monday's edition of Just the News, No Noise, a TV show. Uh, this is John Solomon's site, justthenews.com. The link's in our show notes. It's not a legislative action, naming a specific individual and referring them to the Justice Department. Now, they've only made the ref ref reference to the Justice Department, the referral, I should say. That doesn't mean the Justice Department is going to charge anybody. It simply means that this ridiculous, biased, unjustified committee has made a referral to the Justice Department. The Justice Department, Mr. Ray and the morons are, you know, well, Ray is the FBI. But anyway, they don't have to do anything. And they're really stuck. Because in this case, if they were to charge Trump, there's, it's a no-win case. There's no way ever, ever that he would be convicted. And the last thing the Justice Department wants is that image, because it's all about image, of Trump coming out of the courtroom with his fist raised in the air. We won! Trust me, that is the last thing these people want. So do they charge him? Do they not charge him? It's going to be an interesting show to watch. Check it out. Follow it. The link to that story from uh, Just the News is in our show notes. All right. Just a couple more here before we move on to uh, continue our story of uh, 
A Christmas Memory by Truman Capote. Um, I, I hope you've seen this in the news, but because most of the mainstream legacy media, boy, that word really shouldn't be used for these disinformation queens and kings. Anyway, the FDA, yes, that is the Food and Drug Administration, researchers have found that Pfizer COVID vaccines have been linked to blood clots in people 65 and older. Now, we've, I assume, I have uh, heard hundreds of stories of people falling, uh, young people, young healthy people, athletes, falling over dead from heart attacks, blood clots, and everybody, you know, they're blaming the climate, they're blaming stress, they're blaming lockdowns, they're blaming everything except exactly what's causing it, and that would be the vaccine. Am I going to get banned for this? I hope so. The researchers, this is from the FDA. This is from the Federal Drug Administration. The researchers found an increased chance of people over 65 Experiment, experiencing blood clots, platelet disorders, and heart attacks after receiving the Pfizer vaccine. That's uh, Tom Cotton, I don't know who, oh, Amanda Head, and uh, John Solomon from Just the News. They found the Pfizer bio, BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine is linked to higher instances of adverse effects in people ages 65 and older, but they still have the balls to say the risks uh, getting the shot outweigh the potential risks of being infected by the virus. Uh, as a layman, bullshit. Seriously. They're still trying to push this crap on you. Read this article, please. Look it up. And it's not only people over 65. It's some dangerous stuff, my friends. And they don't want you to know about it. All right, in one more vain attempt to do some sort of awkward segue, speaking of danger, <laughs> you're going to love this. When you th- this is our good news story before we get on to our, uh, to our, st- our book. When I was growing up in Cornwall, Connecticut, it's very rural. In Malaysia, we call it Kampong Kampong. It is very small town, rural, pine forests everywhere. I spent probably half my life in the forests of Cornwall, Connecticut, exploring, hanging out, soaking in the trees. And in all that time, I never so much as saw a deer or a raccoon, let alone a bear. And we do have bears, but they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And the chances are, if you're clumping through the woods and dry leaves, they're going to run away before you ever get the chance to see them. But recently, and I have to believe it's probably a combination of cutting down their homes and uh, lack of food, and we are invading into their territory. So I've seen posts from my friends in Cornwall and other places around northwest Connecticut where they're regularly seeing bears now coming onto their property, going through their garbage cans, coming up on their porch. It's amazing. I, I mean, I, I spent 
20 years almost in Cornwall, living there and working and loving and enjoying. Cornwall is an amazing place, Cornwall, Connecticut. And never once did I ever, ever see a bear. Had I seen one, however, I would not have been expecting this. Do you have any idea how big a fully grown bear's claw is? Take a look at this. Whoa! Yeah, audience, I think that's it. Yeah, whoa! This is the paw of a grizzly bear. If you're listening to the podcast, please check out the link in our show notes. The bear, by the way, is alive. It's been drugged and knocked out for research purposes. But this picture was taken after the bear was sedated to be tagged and released. This is the size of a fully grown grizzly bear's paw. Take a look at that woman behind the bear paw. It is as wide as her shoulders. Look at that. That's not a perspective thing. That bear's claw is as wide as that woman's shoulders. And look at those nails. Look at those claws. They're as big as her fingers. If that thing ripped into you, you would just be dead right. DRT, as we used to say, dead right there. Man, when I saw that, I, I it just can't be true. It is unbelievable and a great reminder of exactly how dangerous these things can be. Now, granted, a, biz- a grizzly is one of the larger bears, like a Kodiak, things like that. But, man, unbelievable. Can you? It's just insane. Absolutely insane. Wow. All right, friends. It is time to uh, move along to our, our book. I, I want to say book. It was a book originally. It's a short story. And uh, we decided to push this thing back in for the holiday season because Christmas is less than a week away, coming up on Sunday of this week. So we just got two more shows to do before Christmas. In fact, our our Chris, we will have a Christmas Eve show on Saturday night. So uh, because of that, we read books on this show. We've done Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, uh, just so many great books we've read. We read them a chapter or so at a time, and then we get all the way through and we start another book. So because it's the holiday season, we just finished Bambi and we thought we would uh, we would entertain you a bit with my absolute favorite Christmas story. We're gonna, we break in, broken it up into three segments. We did one segment, the first part in our last show. We're going to continue on here in uh, tonight's show with uh, more of the story of Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory. They decided it was indeed fruitcake season. They'd counted up their money, and they were ready. Of the ingredients that go into our fruitcakes, whiskey is the most expensive, as well as the hardest to obtain. Now, state law forbids its sale, but everybody knows you can buy a bottle from Mr. Ha-Ha Jones. And the next day, having completed our more prosaic shopping, we set out for Mr. Ha-Ha's business address, 
a sinful, to quote public opinion, fish fry and dancing cafe down by the river. We've been there before on the same errand, but in previous years, our dealings have been with Haha's wife, an iodine dark Indian woman with brassy peroxided hair and a dead tired disposition. Actually, never lay eyes on her husband, although we heard he's Indian, too. A giant with a razor scar across his cheeks. They call him Ha-Ha because he's so gloomy. A man who never laughs. As we approach his cafe, a large log cabin festooned inside and out, with chains of garish, gay, naked light bulbs and standing by the river's muddy edge under the shade of the river trees where moss drifts through the branches like a gray mist. Our steps slow down. Even Queenie stops prancing and sticks close by. People have been murdered in Ha-Ha's Cafe, cut to pieces, hit on the head. There's a case coming up in court next month. Well, naturally, these goings-on happen at night when the colored lights cast crazy patterns on the Victorian walls. In the daytime, Ha-Ha's is shabby and deserted. I knock at the door. Queenie barks. My friend calls, Mrs. Ha-Ha, ma'am, anyone to home? Footsteps. The door opens. Our hearts overturn. It's Mr. Ha-Ha Jones himself. And he is a giant. He does have scars. He does not smile. No, he glows at us through Satan-tilted eyes and demands to know, what do you want with Ha-Ha? For a moment, we were too paralyzed to tell. Presently, my friend half finds her voice, a whispery voice at best. If you please, Mr. Ha-ha, we'd like a quart of your, your finest whiskey. His eyes tilt more. Would you believe it? Ha-ha is smiling, laughing too. Which one of you is a drinking man? Uh, it's for making fruit cakes, Mr. Ha-ha, uh, cooking. Well, that sobers him. He frowns. That's no way to waste good whiskey. Nevertheless, he retreats into the shadowed cafe and, second later, appears carrying a bottle of daisy yellow unlabeled liquor. He demonstrates its sparkle in the sunlight and says, Two dollars. We pay him with nickels and dimes and pennies, and suddenly, as he jangles the coins in his hand like a fistful of dice, his face softens. I'll tell you what, he proposes, pouring the money back into our bead purse. Just send me one of them fruitcakes instead. Well, my friend remarks on our way home, there is a lovely man. We'll put an extra cup of raisins in his cake. The black stove, stoked with coal and firewood, glows like a lighted pumpkin. 
Egg beaters whirl, spoons spin round in bowls of butter and sugar, vanilla sweetens the air, ginger spices it, melting nose-tingling odors saturate the kitchen, suffuse the house, drift out into the world on puffs of chimney smoke. In four days our work is done. Thirty-one cakes, dampened with whiskey, bask on window sills and shelves. Who are they for? Friends. Not necessarily neighbor friends. Indeed, the larger share is intended for persons we met maybe once, perhaps not at all. People who've struck our fancy, like, <laughs> like Miko, like President Roosevelt, like the Reverend and Mrs. J.C. Lucy, Baptist missionaries to Borneo, who lectured here last winter. Or the little knife grinder who comes through town twice a year. Or Abner Packer, the driver of the six o'clock bus from Mobile, who exchanges waves with us every day as he passes in a dust cloud whoosh. Or the young Wistons, a California couple whose car broke down one afternoon outside the house and spent a pleasant hour chatting with us on the porch. Young Mr. Whiston snapped our picture, the only one we've ever had taken. It's because my friend is shy with everyone except strangers that these strangers and the merest acquaintances seem to us our truest friends. I think yes. Although the scrapbooks we keep of thank yous on White House stationery, time-to-time communications from California and Borneo, the knife grinder's penny postcards make us feel connected to eventful worlds beyond the kitchen with its view of a sky that never stops. Now a nude December fig branch grates against the window. The kitchen is empty. The cakes are gone. Yesterday we carted the last of them to the post office where the cost of stamps turned our purse inside out. We're broke. Well, that rather depresses me, but my friend insists on celebrating with the two inches of whiskey left in Haha's bottle. Queenie has a spoonful and a bowl of coffee. She likes her coffee chicory-flavored and strong. The rest we divide between a pair of jelly glasses. We're both quite awed at the prospect of drinking straight whiskey. The taste of it brings screwed-up expressions and sour shudders. But by and by, we begin to sing, the two of us singing different songs simultaneously. I don't know the words to mine, just come on along, come on along to the Darktown Strutter's Ball. But I can dance. That's what I mean to be, a tap dancer in the movies. My dancing shadow rollicks on the walls, our voices rock the chinaware. We giggle as if unseen hands were tickling us. Queenie rolls on her back. Her paws plow the air. Something like a grin stretches across her black lips. Inside myself, I feel warm, sparky as these crumbled logs, carefree as the wind in the chimney. My friend waltzes around the stove, the hem of her poor calico skirt pinched between her fingers as though it were a party dress. Show me the way to go home, she sings, her tennis shoes squeaking on the floor. 
show me the way to go home. Enter two relatives, very angry, potent with eyes that scold, tongues that scald. Listen to what they have to say, the words tumbling together in a wrathful tone. A child of seven. Whiskey on his breath. Are you out of your mind? Feeding a child of seven must be loony. Road to ruination. Remember Cousin Kate, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie's brother-in-law? Shame, scandal, humiliation. Kneel, pray, and beg the Lord. Queenie sneaks under the stove. My friend gazes at her shoes. Her chin quivers. She lifts her skirt and blows her nose and runs to her room. Long after the town has gone to sleep and the house is silent except for the chiming of the clocks and the sputter of fading fires, she's weeping into a pillow, already as wet at a as a widow's handkerchief. Don't cry, I say, sitting at the bottom of her bed and shivering despite my flannel nightgown that smells of last winter's cough syrup. Don't cry, I begged, teasing her toes, tickling her feet. You're too old for that. It's because, she hiccups, I am too old. Old and funny. Not funny, fun. More fun than anybody. Uh, listen, if you don't Stop crying. You'll be so tired tomorrow we can't go cut a tree. She straightens up. Queenie jumps on the bed where Queenie is not allowed to lick her cheeks. I know where we'll find real pretty trees, buddy. And holly, too, with berries as big as your eyes. It's way off in the woods, farther than we've ever been. Papa used to bring us there, Christmas trees, from there carry them on his shoulder. That's 50 years ago. Well, now I can't wait for morning. But we're going to wait until Saturday night when we will finish up Truman Capote's amazing Christmas memory. What a fantastic book. We'll continue on and we'll finish up that just in time for Christmas Eve and then we'll uh, we'll start a new book Monday following. So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that. We haven't picked our book yet. So if you'd like, we get all of our books from the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org. Amazing collection of all kinds of books, children's books, adult books. I mean, not adult books, but you know what I mean. They're all in the public domain so we can read them without getting copyright and all that crap. So, uh, yeah, go over there and check it out. If you'd like, send me a, a PM on any of our platforms, rumble.com, YouTube, uh, twitch.tv, or Facebook. We are live right there across all four platforms right now. And uh, our podcast, of course, you'll find us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public. We're on all the platforms, so check us out over there. It's the audio part of our live show, and uh, you can take us with you. Give us a subscribe over there, too. We appreciate it. All right. So if you want to check out Gutenberg.org, the Gutenberg Project, look for a book you think would be cool to read or to have me read and send us a, an email or a PM. Show at jsheldon.com is our email address. 
That's going to do it, folks. We will see you again on Christmas Eve, Saturday night. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Snort. <laughs>